Welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, James Casina, and Jocelyn Gotto. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. Here's today's episode. Hello, everybody. It is Mike Gore here, and welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast. I'm sitting here in the studio with both of our co-hosts. In fact, James Casina, all the way down from Queensland, Jocelyn Gotto. It's great to have you both here. Welcome. It's great to be here. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Okay, before we get started today, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who is a regular listener of our podcast. And if possible, I'd love you to jump online, rate, review, and share the podcast with your friends. Because one of the things I've learned in my 10 years with the Persecuted Church is that one of the single greatest spiritual mentors to our faith is the Persecuted Church. And so overall, that's been the heart behind the podcast from the very beginning, an all-in-one devotional that my hope is that as you listen to it, allows us to both together take a more courageous and a more bold step towards Jesus and outliving faith in community wherever we find ourselves. So from all of us to you, thank you so much for supporting the Open Doors Live podcast. It's a great privilege and honor to do this together. But without further ado... James, Jossie, let's jump into today's episode. Now, the civil war in Syria looks set to enter a new and even more dangerous phase, with government forces on the move to help Kurdish fighters who are under attack from Turkey. Urgent story this morning involving the Trump administration. It involves the escalating chaos in Syria, where the Pentagon says Turkish artillery fire exploded right near U.S. Special Forces. The conflict is causing Christians in the region to fear for their lives. Kurdish fighters and civilians have evacuated the crucial border town of Rasaline in the first pull back under a US brokered ceasefire. They feel that this might be may very well be the beginning of the end of Christianity in Syria. Hey, my name is Joss and I'm one of the hosts on the Open Doors Live podcast. And what you were listening to then was an audio from the current conflict taking place in Syria. Many of you might have seen in the news earlier this month that the fighting has escalated again in Syria and we've been working with the local church to support Christians on the ground who may be affected by that violence. We actually put the call out last week for people to respond by giving to strengthen and support Christians in Syria at the moment. And we're super excited to share that together, you guys have raised over $20,000 with more donations still coming in. Thank you so much. But James, this is a really complex part of the world. I was wondering if you might be able to shed some more light and give us a bit more of an update um, as to what has sparked this recent conflict in Syria and what it actually means for Christians there. Yeah, of course. Now, Joss, as you've said, it's an incredibly complex part of the world. I certainly don't want to pretend to be an expert. But what I do know is that as a ministry, we've been working in this region for a very, very long time, well before this current conflict. And we, uh, God willing, will be there long after. But what we've seen taking place over the past few weeks uh, is that when the American troops withdrew from Syria, the Turkish military began an operation in northern Syria to attack armed Kurdish groups. Now, a lot of different people groups were caught up in the crossfire. This includes Christians in the region. And can you give us a bit more info on who the Kurdish people are? Well, basically, uh, there are a people group that live right through that region, northern Iraq, Syria, Iran and Turkey. Okay, and how then could this new conflict affect Christians in Syria? Well, our contacts estimate that there are around forty to 50,000 Christians in northern Syria alone who could be impacted by this conflict. 
Now, we would say that Christians are at risk in a few ways. First of all, they could be caught up in the broader conflict as Turkey has attacked cities and towns where we know Christians live and have churches, but they are also at risk for airstrikes, bombings, shelling and other dangers. So far, we don't have any specific evidence that Christians have been singled out or that there's been additional attacks or violence against them. And there's also a current ceasefire. Right. But I guess uh, one of the other big questions that um, most of us have based on what we've seen in the previous years is what about ISIS? Where is ISIS in all of this? This is really an interesting point to note around the current situation there. But while many towns have been liberated from Islamic State, we know that they haven't fully disappeared. Um, in the fight against Islamic State, the Kurds actually played a significant part in liberating much of Iraq and Syria. They now oversee the prisons that hold thousands of those ISIS fighters. So one concern is that if the Kurds are pushed out and if these prisons are abandoned, that there's the potential for the Islamic State to have a resurgence in northern and eastern Syria. Right. It it seems like such a um, messy and complicated part of the world. And my heart truly breaks for the people there who have been caught in the middle of this crossfire. What as a ministry is Open Doors doing to help people in Syria? Well, as you mentioned, Joss, we've been supporting the local church and we've done so in Syria for a really long time. What that looks like practically is a few different things, emergency food relief, financial help, hygiene packs and medical aid. For anyone who's given to that recent Syrian emergency relief appeal, these are the kinds of things that your donations will be doing in the field. So on behalf of our team here at Open Doors, we wanted to say a huge thank you and we know that your generosity will make a huge difference. Absolutely. We have more than 4,000 people, James, a month now who choose to give monthly to the work of Open Doors. An incredible privilege to be able to actually handhold and walk together in serving the global church, people who all over the world share our faith but not our freedom. And so our hope is that over the coming years, 4,000 more will do that because the reality is that you can't call yourself a follower of Jesus, I believe, without doing something that will serve the global body of Christ. And so I always say to people, I've seen a lot of people survive persecution, but very few prosperity. And so I really want to encourage our listeners today, if you aren't already a monthly supporter, please consider what you might be able to give in order to help the church all over the world, not just survive, but thrive. Because one of the more heartbreaking stories for me, James and Joss, and for all of our listeners is that Western cultures were driven by a crisis to crisis fundraising model. The moment something happens, so much of us wants to jump on board and help solve the problem. It's a beautiful and endearing thing about Western culture. But the heartbreaking part of it is that the moment the world and the Western media move on, it no longer becomes appealing. And it might sound crass, but the truth of it is the moment we do an appeal about an emergency relief in Syria, so many beautifully hearted people will support that work. But if I do an appeal based around a 10 to 15 year plan of restoring or bringing hope back to the church of Iraq and Syria, you know what? Most people turn a blind eye to it. I was just actually commenting this morning uh, with someone at a local coffee shop, Syria's all over the front page of the newspaper and it can almost be a fatigue, particularly in that area a, area of the world, that there's you know a different conflict every week. And so I love that thought that you know for those who are supporting, my wife and I support, and um, we are already doing our part there and we'll continue to do so. Yeah, and I really want to challenge us as Christians, so not just this transcends open doors, it really bleeds into any form of social justice or charity work you do. I really want to challenge us that as Christians, us sitting here, the people listening to the podcast, the work doesn't stop when the emergency vanishes from the front page of the newspaper. 
our job as followers of Jesus is to realize it's a long-term commitment. And that's what I'd love to get across today is what does it take, what does it look like to really commit to seeing the future of the church in the Middle East be galvanized, be strengthened and be structured? Because earlier this year, I had the great privilege of being in Syria. Since 2011, the war in Syria has filled our TV screens, as you said, James. Newspapers, social media, news feeds, images of destruction and death certainly left me thinking that Syria was a death zone devoid of life. I remember actually getting ready to take this trip into Damascus and Aleppo and I wrote goodbye letters to my wife and my two daughters. I gave Jocelyn, who not only is on our podcast but is my assistant, access to my computer and said, hey, if if something were to happen, can you just make sure that you get these letters into the hands of my daughters and my wife? Because again, my impression of Syria was that it was unlikely that I was going to return. But the trip that I took there earlier this year, it undid so much of what I realized I had sort of taken on board as a Western perception of Syria. I saw the hustle and the bustle of vibrant cities that quite honestly, media in Australia had told me were desolate and completely destroyed. I remember standing in downtown Aleppo the very first day we arrived. We met our contacts, we went and we ate at a beautiful restaurant. I mean, absolutely incredible Middle Eastern food. I could have been sitting in any large city around the world. Cars whizzing by, people everywhere, skinny jeans, gelled hair, all the things that I did not expect to see in Aleppo. And as I sat there talking to our contact, he told me how at the end of this street, at the height of the war, One of the terrorist groups had a sniper positioned in a building and 30 people had been killed. So it's a tale of kind of two worlds. You've got these beauty of vibrant city life and food and culture and coffee and all of these things that we love juxtaposed with a history that is literally metres away from us of destruction. On the trip, I met people who had a hope, a genuine hope for the future of their nation. However, in the middle of a story of hope, there is as I said just a moment ago, an undeniable story of the war. In Aleppo, whilst you saw the vibrancy of city life, cars, noise, all of those things, there was a five or six block radius of complete and utter destruction. In fact, for any of our listeners, if you want to jump online and see the show notes, you'll see a couple of the photos I took from downtown Aleppo of the absolute sheer destruction. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. I couldn't comprehend how you begin to even reestablish life there. In fact, in many ways, the most simple thing to do would be pick up those three or four blocks, move them five kilometres down the road and start entirely again. When we drove through Damascus, a deeply historical city, the sheer scale of the devastation was almost impossible to describe. Where were the people? I mean, thousands of people would have lived in this area. What happened to their job, their family, their friends? One of the cities with the richest biblical history on the planet, and it's been decimated by war. I just wasn't prepared for it. It was destruction like I have never seen. Mike, I know uh, Joss and I have both travelled to the region, Joss to Lebanon, me on the other side to Jordan, and we probably have a a small glimpse into that answer of what happened to the people. Jordan, I know 2.6 million refugees from this region. Uh, And the thing for me was just the sheer um, kind of terror, horror, uh, as you know, their eyes glaze over as they share their stories. But it felt like for every one of those stories of desolation, there are these stories of of hope mixed in there as well. And one of my favorite stories comes from that region uh, of a woman who chose to stay when Islamic extremists took over her 
village. She was living in an area controlled by rebels and taking food and supplies to people who couldn't get out. Uh, one time these rebels came to her door and they tried to force themselves inside her house. Now, she was protecting a number of women inside, so she held back the door and refused to let them in. They screamed at her, aren't you scared that we've come to kill you? She said, no, I'm not afraid because I have the mighty God with me and he's protecting me. Later they came back, but instead of killing her, they took her to their leader because he wanted to speak with her. When she was brought before him, he was surprised to see her simply standing there, not shaking in fear. He said, usually when men stand before me, they're shaking. Tell me, who's behind you? What's the source of your strength? Which country is helping you? While the men were pointing guns at her, she shared with them about Jesus Christ, how he's the Lord of peace and of courage. She spoke for 25 minutes uninterrupted. At the end, the rebel leader was crying. And after their meeting, he disappeared. While we don't know what happened to him, our field workers tell us that God took him out of that place. For me, this woman's story is such an example of what it means to follow Jesus, no matter the cost. I've always loved that story. It's such a beautifully powerful picture of someone who is committed to following Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. When I think back on my time in Syria, there's probably two lessons that I really believe I felt the Lord taught me as one of the privileges of traveling with this ministry. It's so rarely about what you offer the people you meet, but more than that, what you learn from the people you meet with. Because I do believe that one of the most important messages we have as a ministry globally is helping people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. And over the next two decades, some of the most important locations for us doing that are Western nations. Because if I look around, even myself, everyone's trying to figure out in the face of rapidly changing religious freedoms, how do I follow Jesus? And the persecuted church, they're people who have answered this question in the face of rapidly changing culture and at the ultimate cost it comes, have figured out how to hold on closely, securely and courageously to Jesus. So during my time in Syria, the two lessons I really felt that I learned about were based around faith and freedom. I found that many churches in Syria, they've been caught between a rock and a hard place because throughout the rise of ISIS and the war in Syria, in an attempt to quite literally save their lives, they paralleled themselves with government. Okay, so in an attempt for actual survival, they said, how can we do this? Well, we need to make sure we align ourselves with the Azad regime. But the protection comes at a great cost because they've got to stay within the limitations set on them by the government who can often be corrupt and untrustworthy. But it also causes Christians to be seen as supporters of Assad's government, making them the most vulnerable to persecution by Muslims who are often anti-Assad. In fact, on my traveling with Open Doors, people often ask me about personal security. Were you in trouble? Were you worried? Was it dangerous? Syria was by far and away the single most nerve-wracking, dangerous trip I've taken in 10 years. But not for the reason you think. I never felt once as though my safety was in question. But I did find myself time and time again meeting with high-level politicians and pastors who were often espousing uh, anti-Western um, fake media kind of sentiments, taking photos of me, tagging me or trying to find me on Facebook and tag me on it, that to me was a hugely worrying thing. In fact, there was talk for a while that we're going to meet with Assad himself. And I remember in that moment saying to our contacts that I didn't want to, I didn't feel comfortable. And so for me, the risk in that trip was not actually physical, but it was political. As you can see, it's a very, very complex situation. In an attempt to survive, the ultimate outworking of that has resulted in control and conformity. 
and it's a terrifying place to be. Christians, they're often under immense pressure, and as someone not in that situation, I can't really say what is right or what is wrong. I want to make that very clear. I'm not having a political view in this conversation. But as an organization, Open Doors, Brother Andrew, the founder, has always said to us, look, we're not anti-anything. We are pro-Jesus. The difficult lesson I learned is that some churches, whilst they didn't compromise their faith, they did secure their freedom, but they didn't realize the cost. It made me wonder how often in the West do we compromise our faith in order to secure our freedom? Think about it. How often do we compromise our faith in order to secure our freedom. To be Christian, it often means we're seen within wider society and culture as anti this or anti that. But how often do we actually compromise our faith in pursuit of freedom and acceptance, whether it be on social media, in society and culture, with our faith in our families, or even amongst friends? The thing I fear is that one day we'll wake up and we'll realize that we are more driven by securing our freedom than we are our faith. Wow, Mike, that is a really, really powerful question. Let's just go over that again. How, how often do we compromise our faith to secure our freedom? It's got me wondering, how does that play out in our lives here in the West? I think the easiest way to probably examine that question or, or really pull it apart and get deeper into the, the heart and the meaning behind it, Josie, is to say, well, where do you most often compromise your faith? Because... The answer to that, it will actually give you an idea of the freedom you're trying to secure. I think that's really important too, because you're exactly right. In a country like this in Australia, you know, everything we do is espoused by freedom. It's difficult to see where there are limitations on our freedom. But in terms of faith, for me, I've always been a bit of a people pleaser. So that manifests in terms of my faith where I might be, you know, even talk about my work here with Open Doors. It's easy to turn this into a humanitarian aid conversation. Um, I do great good things. We do great good things for people all around the world. But where is Jesus in that? That's probably a little bit more difficult for me to share the gospel with people. And so maybe, uh, yeah, the freedoms for me there are probably a willingness or a lack of willingness to be able to share the gospel freely. Yeah, it's a beautiful example, James, because what you're saying there is that most often you compromise your faith in the pursuit of winning the approval of others. Right? So what we're saying in, at a higher level and sort of diving into the question is the freedom you're securing is actually the love of others. Right? So it's not that we're necessarily in Syria with a gun pointed at our heads or a terrorist group breathing down our necks, but the reality is that we often compromise our faith in pursuit of freedom. Now, whether that's here based on the love of others or it's in the Middle East based on actual physical survival, the principle is universal. And not only is it universal, it's incredibly powerful. And I think that the net result of that in the end is a watered down or lukewarm faith. And we go searching for God in all the wrong places. We look for our identity in Christ everywhere outside of Christ. Um, but we also then start to become... Um, slaves to the things that we're serving. And if we're not serving Jesus, we're a slave to something, we're worshipping something else, something else has become an idol. And so it's interesting when you think about, well, if this is where your freedom is, if this is where your freedom is held, what is your freedom in? Because if it's in the approval of others or if it's in a really shallow faith, it is never going to satisfy. I think that's why I love this relationship with our brothers and sisters all around the world who are staring very different kinds of enemies in the faces, but there's a, a, a similar lesson to be learned from them. And I'm reminded as we talk over Syria about um, some time I spent in Lebanon a couple of years ago that was really during um, 
the time when ISIS had a real stronghold on that nation and when the refugee crisis in Lebanon was huge. I remember going to um, the Bakar Valley, a valley that had been overrun with refugees, 500,000 refugees just in that one valley. And the situation was quite dire. And we had met with some believers from Syria who'd come out to Lebanon to meet with us. And one of them was this beautiful little Catholic nun. She was the she came up to about my shoulder height and there was this meek and just lovely, warm, gentle person. And she has the opportunity or she had at the time to leave Syria, to find a better life, a more relatively safer life in Lebanon. Um, but she chose to stay. And I remember her talking about, um, the, the children that she was watching after doing an exam in their classroom and a sniper shot into their classroom in the middle of the exam and in my head, the story has gone on like, okay, there was a full on lockdown, everything, everyone got moved out of there. Um, you know, parents were called everything, all systems go. And she said, oh no, we just picked up the desks and moved them away from the window. And the kids kept doing their exam underneath the table. And from the most gentle, probably meekest person I've ever met to see that kind of strength, resilience um, and dedication to to children, but dedication to serving God in those moments. It was just like no one else I have ever met before. It actually reminded me of something else um, I heard from Syria about a guy called Pastor Edward who leads a church there. He said, it's not a privilege for him to leave Syria, even when things are tough. It was a privilege for him to be able to stay. And he said, as ambassadors of Christ, we need to spread the values of heaven. Even if it's costly, we need to stay here so that light can stay here. We have this burden and this privilege to be ambassadors for Christ. And I love that he's isn't someone who's driven by freedom over faith. He's choosing to stay in that moment. He's choosing to give up his freedom because of the conviction that he has in his faith. And even in his context, he lives in Damascus, which is an incredibly difficult place to follow Jesus. And he runs a church there. And yet he's willing to forsake freedom, social acceptance, comfort, to continue to be an ambassador for Christ and to continue sharing the gospel in Syria. And as a ministry, we help people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. And part of that is helping the church remain in their country and continue to be ambassadors for Christ there. And as we mentioned earlier, there are really important ways that our support does that financially. But another really significant part of the way that we can help as Christians is through prayer. And here's what Pastor Edward has to say on that. Prayer is a very major thing and very important thing. And uh, we can see that the divine interventions happen uh, along with prayers. It, uh, it helps the people who pray and it helps the people who we pray for. For our prayer uh, supporters, people who really uh, supported us all through the uh, crisis, uh, I want you to know that this meant a lot to us. I received a letter from a lady who said that I prayed for you every day. And uh, uh, I just uh, told our congregation this uh, amazing fact that we are really the body of Jesus Christ and we feel for each other and we support each other. And I, I want to express my appreciation and I want to uh, make sure that you know that the Lord answered your prayers. We need your prayers. Uh, our country is not uh, now uh, settled completely. We still have challenges. We have challenges 
as uh, the result of the crisis. People are in uh, grief. People are, uh, don't know how to express their uh, feelings. The challenges now are not the bombs, but the challenges are the brokenness inside the people. And we thank you for your prayers, and we ask you to pray for the church, the leaders of the church, and the people who work in, in ministry to keep focused on the glory of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, and at the same time to give us the wisdom how to deal with grief and how to deal with those emotional wounds that, uh, that we, we face every day. That was Pastor Edward, a church leader from Syria. And as we bring this episode to a close, we want to share with you that if you want to partner with the Syrian church and persecuted believers all over the world, for that matter, in prayer, on the 3rd of November, we have International Day of Prayer. It's a really incredible time for churches and believers to gather together as one body and pray for the global church. You can register for that on our website and get a whole bunch of beautiful resources that our teams put together to help you and your church pray and know how to pray for the persecuted church. Just head over to our website opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz so all of you listeners today thank you so much for being part of the podcast we really love and appreciate if you enjoy what you're hearing please rate review and share it and we'll catch you next month thanks for listening to open doors live with your hosts mike gore and james kazina because of your support we're able to bring the persecuted church to life for more information head over to opendoors.org.au